0: You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled Preparing for Easter, a standalone sermon. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Turn to Luke 15, please, if you would. Luke 15. <clears throat> Last Sunday I was gone and I was up at my mother's, my stepmother's, my mother I guess. She became my stepmother, uh, my third mother, when I was 15. And um, so she's been there all of these years. I don't have a lot of extended family. Most of my family has passed. And um, it was her 75th birthday so I went up to Portland and spent a, a few days to help put some things together to celebrate her life. Uh, I don't say this to brag or to complain. It's my reality. I've missed some extended family celebrations that have been out of town because since I graduated from college, uh, Trina and I have lived down here in California while her family and my family are all up in Oregon. And so uh, just due to responsibilities and probably a little bit of um, not... It just whatever, I don't know I don't know how I'd phrase it, but I just missed a lot of family things. And based on some of the things that I've experienced in recent months, I made this, I said, I got I to gotta start re-engaging with my family and celebrate with them. Celebrate birthdays and significant events and anniversaries that I've just never taken the time to do because it's so easy to put your head down and forget that there's a journey to be enjoyed, not simply endured. Do you know that? Um, And I don't mean that everything's happy and fun, because it's not, believe me. But I also know this, that God said, I don't want you just simply to endure life. I want there to be enjoyment. And as you read the scriptures, guess what you'll see? You'll see that there's just this plethora of times that God said, nation, Israel, my people, I want you to celebrate. I will see it throughout the Old Testament. The year of Jubilee was a holy feast where every 50 years they allowed the Israelites to show the same mercy to one another that God had showed them, where they, they let the, the slaves, and they let all the slaves free as they were when they left Egypt. They um, forgave all debts, forgave all things, and, and land was returned in this 50th year, and they didn't work the land in that 50th year because they wanted to let it rest. In this year of jubilee that took place every 50 years. They had the the Passover feast that celebrated the Passover of the death angel when the Hebrews were there Um, when the Hebrews left Egypt they had the feast of the unleavened bread the feast of the first fruits the feast of the Pentecost festival the feast of the atonement that we know today most of us have heard the word Yom Kippur. The feast of tabernacles was where they established these booths and they lived in them for a week and Uh, It was a remembrance of when they had to hastily leave Egypt, and out in the desert, they built these booths. They were celebrations. It's kind of like what we do with Christmas and Easter and all of these other things. But we get to celebrate Easter, and all of these celebrations that God ordained for his nation really were things that pictured Jesus later on in the New Testament had to do with salvation, redemption, being released, forgiveness, and all of those things that Jesus, and we can see them in the Old Testament, and and, and the purpose of my talk isn't about uh, all of these feasts as much as they are part of the celebrative heart of God in our lives. Easter is simply as we come to it, friends, it's a celebration of Jesus coming to redeem, to buy back people from their brokenness to give them new life because of his life and his death and his resurrection. That's why he came. And guess what? That's why we're still here. Yeah, yeah. See, I was, I was talking to one, or a, a group of 101 people yesterday, and I was saying, why does God still have us here? See, we think it's okay, let's put in our 40 hours a week and let's raise a good family. That's part of it, but really, the, if you really understand the overarching picture, it's because Jesus wants people to save. Second Peter chapter 3, he says, I would that none would perish, but all would be saved. That's God's heart. I believe, he says, that's why I'm slow to come. That's why for 2,000 years, people say, when's he going to come? When's he going to come? Because he's saying, I don't know there's going to come a time, but he says, I, I really want people to be saved. And you know who has a part of that? You and I do. That's why we're still here. There's only two things, and there's a couple more things probably if we really think about it, but there's two major things that you can do here you can't do in heaven. And you know what those are, don't you? Well, first one is you can reach people for Christ. That's a good thing. Or you can sin. See, you're going to be in heaven, and you're not going to, you're not going to be able to reach people for Christ because everybody that's up there already knows Jesus. And I'll guarantee you this, you're not going to be sinning in heaven, Okay? So, why do you think Jesus has you here? Uh, Let me see, door number two, you know? No, no, we're here so that we can reach people for Jesus Christ, and that's what this season is about, and I'm working through some things, even in our staff meeting this last week, and uh, we we had uh, a long one, and working through some stuff, and And one of the key conclusions that I came to at the end that I shared with them, I drew a circle on the board and desks in there, and I said, here's our church, here's desks, and here's the problem. There's two problems, but the, 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 the key one was some of the issues that maybe are going on around us in this place are because all of the arrows now, most of the arrows are pointing inward. And when all the arrows begin to point inward, it's amazing how people begin to point at one another and everything. Have you ever noticed that? When I was up in Oregon, I'm kind of a chronic repenter. Because I just, you know, it's it's just a better way to live. And then, you you know, nobody can, if I say I'm sorry and and I mean it, then you can't really hold it against me. But um, even up there, I said, you know, I haven't been a good, good son. I haven't been a good... Cousin, nephew, or whatever I am, because I haven't taken really time to love you all, and uh, and then I got to pray for my mother, and uh, but 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 that's 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 how we should live, and when we begin, because my family really is still kind of fragmented. One part of it, not both parts, but it's still kind of fragmented, and, and I, I don't like drama, because um, I, I I deal with a lot of drama, not personally, but just by what I do, and so I. I'm up there, and I just realized, I've got to celebrate with these people. Yeah. I've got to celebrate them. And, and the church can never forget that the, forget the eternal dimensions that weigh in the balance of life that we get so comfortable with. Most of us in this room are very convinced, rightfully, hopefully so, that you're going to go to heaven. And we forget that we rub shoulders every day with people that are not. And so as we move into this Easter season, I so loved, I just loved 40 days in the Word. But most of the Sundays were really fairly intensive in terms of what we talked about, high information that is important so we can build our minds, grow our hearts and focus on Jesus and the word. Uh, but I felt like, you know what? I don't want us to ever go, oh boy, now we got all this word and we can do space pets and we can do the visualization and we can do this and do that and we forget there are people going to hell. And see, that's what Easter's about. It's about this God who loves us so much that he would give his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And sometimes we forget that. Not because we're sinful people, not because we're bad people, just because we're human, we're busy. And so I want to come today and remind you from a very familiar passage of what we want to do this Easter and what we're going to pray and we're going to believe for. And one of the things that I'm challenging people around me and our staff and myself on is we got to get the arrows pointing back out because the issues always come when the arrows point in, Mm -hmm. but we're going to get the arrows pointing back out. So I want you to follow with me. Do you mind if I sit down and read to you the story? I guess you don't have any choice, do you? I just realized again this week, this is my favorite story in the whole Bible, and I usually say, well, there's probably five, but this is it. So I want to read it to you. Jesus is facing a tough crowd, but Jesus does what only Jesus can do, and that's what I love about him. He said, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's a great statement. All the sinners, all the dregs of the society, they were they wanted to lean in and they wanted to hear this man. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious big dogs of the day, not so much. They were complaining. What was their complaint? This man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. We're going to see these two people lived out in the last story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son is really the sinners and the tax collectors. And the Pharisees and the scribes are the big brother. And here's one of the key points that you can never forget friends is that the church is also the same way. Churches can either be big brothers or they can be kind of the 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 heart of the father to how we deal with the prodigals. Okay? So Jesus says, you know something you guys, I got a, I got two really diverse groups here. So I'm gonna t- I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. So he told them this parable. Now notice it's singular. We'll touch base on that in a minute, but it's not parables. It's a parable. We've been talking in 40 days that that, uh, every passage has really a singular meaning and focus with many broad ways to apply it. And this is the same way. It's only got one meaning here. So he told them this parable. What man among you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them and he does not leave the other 99 in the church and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he's found it, he joyfully he puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says to them, "Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep." I tell you in the same way, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Rejoice with me, one person. Did you guys hear that, Pharisees and Scribes? One. Okay, well, if you guys don't get that, well, here's the thing the the shepherd here is Jesus. This is how Jesus works in our salvation. He's the lover of our soul that is seeking after us. And then we come to the parable of the lost coin, and Jesus says, you know, I gotta tell you something else. There's another part of the Godhead that I want you to be aware of, and that's this third person, the second person, the third person called the Holy Spirit. And he says "Or what woman has ten silver coins? And if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search it carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her women friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin that I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence, joy, celebration, in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents, I love that. Friends and neighbors, women, propel girls, let's celebrate. <laughs> he says, you know, I want to tell you something else. I really, want to, I really want to narrow this down. I really want to zero in. He's not saying that, but that's what Jesus is thinking. You know, there's a man, he had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. I have coming to me. So he distributed the the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Pigs. Isn't that interesting? A Jewish boy gets down to nothing. Now he's got to go work with the pigs. Now what's interesting? It says that he longed to fill his, to eat his fill of the carrot pods that the pigs were eating. So no, but no one would give him any. That's really interesting because I don't know if, if you've ever been on a diet or you've been really healthy. Some of you probably had carob, and a lot of times people will eat it in place of chocolate. Being a chocolate connoisseur aficionado, there is no comparison. <laughs> And to be really honest with you, there's nothing about carob that appeals to me. And this boy is so down and out, he says, just fill me up with that stuff. He's hungry. And now, but what's interesting is, is the people won't even give it to him, and that's why they're feeding the pigs. He must have been in a very, 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 very bad place. Now, it says when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands... Have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. He's dying. I'm going to get up and go to my father and say, "Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your son, and no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just make me like one of your hired hands?" So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, I love this. His father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. You know what that's going to be like, don't you? Remember I talked about this some time ago? This kid's sweaty. He's been in the pig poo. He's walked miles from a far distant country in the Middle East. This stuff is marinated into his skin. And his dad says, I don't care. Well, the son now is going to give his little talk. The son said, Father, you know what? I've sinned against heaven and Sending your son, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father stops him right there. He doesn't even get to finish his speech of repentance. Father looks and he tells his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put put it on him. I want you to put the ring on his finger. I want you to give him the best sandals that I've got. Then I want you to go get that fattened calf. You know, that one that's really tender. I want you to slaughter it and we're going to do what? We are going to celebrate joyfully with a feast. Why? Because of this son of mine. He was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost, now he's found. So, what are we going to do? We're going to celebrate. So, now this older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So, he summoned one of the servants and he asked, What do these things mean? Oh, you know what? Your brother's back. He's here. He told him, and your father, he slaughtered the fattened calf, and he's back. He's safe. He's sound. He's back in the home. Wow. Your older brother becomes angry. He didn't want to go in. So this wonderful, gracious, loving father comes out and he pleads with him. But he looks at his father in the eye and he says, look, I've been slaving for you for many years. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't use the word, I've been living with you. I've been serving you. I've been helping you. I've been living off you. I'm enslaving. You ever had people like that around you? You do everything for him, and they come here. You know, I've just been a slave. I've never disobeyed your words, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. It's interesting here because the terms of celebration are different. See, the son wanted to celebrate on his own for himself wanted to take the father's goods and do his own celebration for himself. Well, the father says, here's what I want to do. I want to celebrate you with my goods. It wasn't costing the son anything. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your assets with hookers and bad ladies and you slaughtered the fat calf for him. Notice the tenderness of the father here. He uses this beautiful term. He says, son, son. He says, son, you're always welcome. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, he was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. And is there any sadder story in some ways? You know what's sad to me about this? is because we don't know what happened to the older brother. All we know is the father challenged him, boom, period. And I think Jesus left it that way because he wanted that to be able to imprint on the heart of those religious people. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to be able to transition to the grateful brother coming home? Are you going to stay in your stodgy, stingy, religious, small room life? A couple of things about this story I want you to see this morning is the uh, depths of separation. It's three stories. It's got one focus, and something of great value is being separated from something, someone. We see the sheep from the shepherd, the coin from the widow, the son from the father. It's a picture of people. It's a picture of the people we see today that they're fully separated from God. But we get to see here powerfully how the Father, how God the Father, God the Son, who is the shepherd and God the Holy Spirit, the widow, seeks out those who are far from God. There's this continual full court press on the hearts and lives of people. Many are lost, they don't even know it. Many are disconnected and it doesn't matter to them. That's our world. That's the people we rub shoulders with. That's the people that we go to work with. That's the people in our neighborhoods, some of our family members. A few weeks ago, some of you were down at the Little League Parade uh, downtown, the Martinez Little League Parade, and uh, our kids had to work, and so we got the joy, and we would have gone there anyway, but we took uh, uh, Isaac, took him through the process, had to meet with his team, and then they start, and they go through this long parade, and at the end of the parade, at the end of Main Street, downtown Martinez, you have all of these kids conglomerating with their parents. I mean, it's just like a mass of humanity. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm taking pictures, and then all of a sudden, I'm running up the sidewalk through people, trying to catch up to the, you know, to their team, and it's kind of crazy, because I was trying to get some of our creek si- other Creeksiders, and we get to the end, and all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out where Isaac is, and Trina and I walk over, and we finally get him, he's down, we went one way, he went the other, and he was with his team, we picked him up, and we said, okay, we're going to take him to, birth- uh, to breakfast. So we begin to walk down another street. And uh, we're walking along in this mass of humanity. Isaac's right here with me. I'm not holding his hand, but he's right here with me. Trina's about two steps ahead of him, moving the crowd for us, and uh, so we can so we can get to breakfast before everybody else. She's really good at that, and um, that's her favorite meal of the day. So so she's going, and all of a sudden, this is absolutely no exaggeration. This guy jumps out in front of me, and he goes, Pastor T. I go, what? And he goes, and he's got this hat on, he's, he's kind of, you know, kind of like almost a, a, a kind of a hard looking guy, a handsome guy, but kind of, you know, he's got these big clothes and, and uh, he goes, Pastor T, you remember me? And I go, you know, you've got a hat on, help me out. And, uh, you know, he's probably about 26, 27 years old and he goes, well, remember, uh, you know, you did the funeral for my girlfriend when she passed away, tra- died tragically in a car accident and... And I just and he, was, uh, he was out of it in terms of addiction and everything. He goes, I want you to know, man, God's done this great thing in my life. I'm trying to become a professional racer, and I've got this, this thing that I'm doing. I'm trying to help, you know, youth and get them into racing. And he starts quoting all this stuff to me. You know, he's got these little kind of things. It's kind of like a motivational speaker thing. It was really sweet and really cool. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, okay, Isaac. And then I go, okay, well, yeah, he's with, he's with Trina, so he's fine. And, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, this is like five minutes later. He says, okay, i got to go. You know, he's gone again. It's like he jumped into somebody else's face. And uh, <laughs> and, so I start, and I'm not exaggerating this, okay? This, is, this You can't make this stuff up. And, um, and so I start walking, and all of a sudden, I hear a boy crying. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. He's crying over here, and Trina's over here giving me the stink eye. And... Um, <laughs> I thought you had Isaac. I thought you had him. No, I didn't say that. I, I, uh, but, 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 but he got lost. And so he was in this crowd of people. And he's lost. And Trina ends up going and find him while I'm over here entertaining. Here's the deal. People are like that. They don't mean to get lost. They just get distracted in life. Things happen. They get lost in the humanity. They get lost in doing different things. Some cry. Some make it through. Some struggle, some no big deal. But see, that's what happens in life. People get separated from God. Here, here's, here's what I want you to, one of the things I want you to see this morning. Might the Lord Jesus graciously, lovingly, but firmly remind us we live in the midst of, of crowds filled with people who are separated from him. And because they're separated, they need his life and they touch, his touch. And at this Easter season, is there any better time where you and I can say, God, would you just make me a candidate of being able to step into people's lives? Maybe even like my friend did this morning. Say, I want to pray for you because God's got a word for you. Ephesians 2 tells us that when Jesus came, He died on the cross so that He could break down every wall of separation to Him. And that's what Easter is about. Good Friday, you come, you die on the cross, you resurrect. Why? So that every person could have access to the Father. There's no more separation. Because people, you know what? They're hopeless and they're broken. And Jesus communicates things of His life in this story that just go beyond good literature acute stories but he is highlighting this and he is re- reinforcing this to the people there and to us today concerning the condition of those who are far from god that we can never forget loved ones the lost sheep the lost sheep he separated due to his foolishness i noted some months back that they aren't smart They aren't self-sufficient. They're not self-protecting animals. They go out. They get lost, They end up in the thicket. And what happens? They're stuck. They can't get themselves out. When they get lost, they can't find their way. We all heard the little nursery rhyme, little Bo Peep. It's sweet. It's a cute story, but it's horrible theology. Remember the rhyme. It goes something like this. Leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. No way. Sheep do not find their way home. They are not smart. They are dumb. And guess what the Bible calls us in Psalm 100? And Jesus clearly calls us that in John 10. He says, you are the sheep of my pasture. (laughs) My sheep hear my voice. That's the Jesus that we serve. He's not being insulting. He's just speaking to the heart of who we are and what we do it is so easy for humanity hey, listen it's easy for you and me to step by step by step lose our way and that's the world around us how about the lost coin the lost sheep is lost because of its foolishness but the lost coin is lost and separated due to its due to carelessness it's still in the house it's covered with dirt it's out of circulation it's not going to roll home on its own It's so easy for people to get lost even in this house. To get covered over with dirt and lose their way and not make the right decisions. But God's spirit wants to come to them and he wants to begin to sweep. He wants to begin to remove the dust and the debris and the dirt so that their ears would be open to hear his voice in their situation and bring them back home all the way home. Maybe that's some of you today. You're not hearing God because you're just kind of, you got some dirt in your life and you're covered over and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you this morning and go, would you listen? I'm here. I'm speaking to you. lost son, the son chooses to leave not because of foolishness or carelessness, he's just rebellious soon it says he comes to his senses and he decides to return home. But he's got this big concern. What's my father going to do? Will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? But it says in this beautiful story, this picture of Father God, that he's standing there waiting to receive him. What is it that motivates this boy to go home? He's dying of hunger. A great famine came. The reason he's dying from hunger is because they didn't have World Vision then. They didn't have a telethon that says, let's raise some money for this little boy that's dying of, flu- of, 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 of starvation. And so the boy doesn't go home sooner. He says it waits till he's dying. Why is that? Because when he goes home, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's not even his father. See, in that first century, they had this thing called a kazaza. What that was is if you went home, if you went and you squandered your wealth in a neighboring nation outside of Israel and you come home with nothing left, they did this thing where the village or the... Town would come around, and they'd get this pot, and they'd stand before you. They'd take this pot, and they'd look at you with all the family around, all the village people. And they'd say, you are kazaza. And they'd drop it, and they'd break it, and it would splatter all over the place. And they would look at the son or the daughter, whoever it was, and they would say, this is you. You are kazaza. Hebrew means cut off. You are cut off because this is the picture of brokenness that you cause for your daddy. Mommy, your family, this village that helped raise you. See, that's why it took so long for the son to come around. Because he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if his dad would reject him and if he'd have to face this kazaza being cut off. But somehow this son must have had some insight into his father and considered his love. Because he ends up going home and he's standing there on the precipice of hitting this village and and I wonder if he couldn't see somewhere his father looking out after him. Because we see in this story that Jesus makes this precious statement. He says, while he was still afar off, we understand that the father was probably scanning the horizons day after day. So the son sees the village, and he knew what could be awaiting. Kazaza, because he knows there's always consequences to sin and brokenness and rebellion. It's never God's intention, but... Isn't it wonderful? See, these two stories teach us so much about how heaven works. You got Jesus that's pursuing this aggressive restoration. You got the Holy Spirit that's coming after you, searching, sweeping, an aggressive restoration. But then you got this Father that stands back and he waits. Interesting, isn't it? Why does he do that? Why do they show us this picture? Well, I think it's partly because they want us to see some things. I'm glad that's not the end of the story. Because what I want us to see, friends, is really the ultimate value. This parable clearly communicates the value of every person, no matter their condition. And I want you to see this aggressive restoration of God at work, seeking, pursuing, looking, cleaning, sweating, waiting, all these different aspects. The value of a sheep in the Eastern culture it was valuable for livestock it uh, could have been used for eating, for uh, family sustenance. It could have been part of a bank account, uh, resources for a family. It could also be a family pet. We all understand if you have pets, how close those pets are to us, and it would have been the same way for these sheep. So we see this monetary and as well as emotional value that it brings, and Jesus says, God is aggressive. And that I, the good shepherd, I will pursue and I will go after one. I will leave Creekside behind to go into Martinez to get the one. I won't forget about Martinez, I mean, excuse me, Creekside, but I got to go get the one. You got the value of the coin, this woman, uh, a woman from Palestine, when she was married, she would put 10 coins together to, to wear on her forehead as a public announcement of her marriage. It's kind of like when she would walk around, it would be like all oh, the... All the sweet ladies walk up there and go, whoa, kind of like, you know, you do with your wedding ring, wow, what a rock, like, oh, congratulations on your marriage, you look so good and radiant, that's what the coins would do for her, losing one would be similar to losing a diamond in a lady's ring, see, in the Near Eastern home, they often didn't have windows, they'd be dark, dusty, dirty floors, so when she lost this coin, we can just see this woman probably down on all fours in this dark room, and she's doing everything she can, sweeping and grabbing and pulling and swiping, trying to find this lost coin. Why? It's a picture of God's aggressive restoration for every person around us. It's what he did for you and for me. See, the value of the son, we all know the value of a child, our children, no matter where we've been, they have value. You know Why? They have value because they have been imprinted with the image of the living God. Every one of you in this room have been imprinted with the image of the living God. But most of us wouldn't even say that's the overriding value. If you're like me, you'd say, this is their value. They're my son, they're my daughter, and they've got my name. I got my name. On my phone, I got a picture of Isaac down on... Parade day. It's from the back. He's adjusting his hat, like, kind of like a major leaguer. And I just happened to see what he was doing, so I got this picture of it. It's kind of like this little kid becoming a big baseball player, but here's what I loved. On the back of his jersey, big letters, Riley. <laughs> That's my boy. I love him. Because he's a Riley. We carry that. It says his father saw him. You ever noticed how somebody walks? When you know him, when you see him, you have your kids. You nobody else could pick them out, but you could pick them out a football field away just by the way they walk. If you saw them from behind, I can imagine that father. That's my boy. I see him. I remember the first step he took as a little kid. And it says because of his compassion, he ran after him. See, in the Middle East, that would never happen with a father because they were very dignified. They wore robes. That's probably one of the the most interesting points of this story. Shocking to these people. A father running after a dirty, smelly kid. Why does he do that? Well, it says because of his compassion. Compassion is something that is inside of us, loved ones, that moves us to action. And so he diminishes his dignity. Why? Because of something that always trumps dignity. It's always going to trump it. It's going to be compassion and care and value. When you see the value of something, when you have compassion in your heart, guess what? It will trump the dignity that you think you have at every point. That's what happens with this daddy. So he rolls up his robes and he runs after him. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verses 27 and 29, he said, when you're in the father's hand, you're not going to be let go. I love that. Why did the father let him go? He didn't let go of him. He let him go. See, the prodigal picture uh, is, is a many. Of, is really a picture of so many people today that travel away to a far country. Maybe some of you are have done that recently, and you're just coming back today. Hopefully, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about heading to a far country. But they have here, I think, a picture of what we want to call bungee theology. Now, I didn't learn this in Bible college. But you know what a bungee is. It's a cord that gets wrapped around somebody. So picture here that this kid, he's got this cord wrapped around him. Picture, picture yourself. Picture some of your friends that decide to go to the far country. Here's the problem with a bungee cord, or the good thing, is that the cord is stretched as far as it can go. And some of us have stretched it further than others. But for every one of us, there's a point that goes, that, that bungee cord can only go so far, and what happens? It snaps back. Here's the good news of that. You can never get away from it. Here's the bad news. The farther you go, the harder the comeback is. The question is never whether you'll come back or not, just how hard you'll hit. The son hits pretty hard. We don't know the repercussions of his life due to his journey. But here's what we can know. The father was there. (laughs) Don't you love that? Father was there. See, value and compassion always trump dignity. Jesus is showing and personifying here Father God. And and what what he does is is he runs through to his son. He goes to his son. He doesn't do it because remember what it says? He throws his arms around him and he begins to kiss him and to hug him. He doesn't do it primarily for affection. He does it for protection. What do you mean? He knows that his son is coming into this village. And if he doesn't get to his son first, guess what? Some of these villagers might go, and they might pronounce kazaza on him. And he says, well, wow, what's going to happen? So he says, I'm going to go to him, and he says, I'm going to take the walk of shame with him, and I'm going to let everybody know that I'm going to forgive him. All well, the twist in the story, that's got to be the greatest. Here, let me give you a spiritual challenge, loved ones. What if the church had a compassion focus like Father God? Had the same type of aggressive approach that Jesus had and the Holy Spirit had. Where we begin to step into people's lives. I don't mean force ourselves in. I don't even mean that we go in like God. But we are more assertive and more aware of people where they are. In this Easter season, we begin to move assist the shepherd and the Holy Spirit and Father God where we become his hands extended and we just become more aware of where people are and we do things like go up and pray for them like someone did for me today and someone did for me yesterday morning I must be in a bad place because I got everybody praying for me It's, but I love it and that person next to you in the cubicle or in the ditch or in the teacher's lounge. You just say, God, let my let my spiritual antenna be up a little more. Do I need to help you do some sweeping? Do I need to help you go after? Because here's the great thing: it will always lead to celebration. I wonder, though, how many churches. That's what I love about us. We're not this way. But I don't ever want to, I want to remind you because I don't want to go there. How many churches, how many times, why don't people go to church? You know why I think it is? I think it's because we're, they're afraid that the church is just waiting to pronounce kazaza on them. They're going to walk in and we're going to drop the pot. Oh, you smell a little burnt today. What else did I smell on your breath? How are you dressed? What do you believe there? And so we begin to pronounce kazahs. Oh, we don't do it, but we do it. But when you're operating with the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, you're scanning the horizon, looking, waiting, believing, hoping. Because here's what I know, we can get so comfortable within these four walls and forget there's a world out there going to We want to celebrate. We see the compassion of the father. It leads to another surprise. Every one of these stories ends with a celebration. Get the neighbors, grab the babies, pack up the old ladies. We got to celebrate somebody's come home. I found another sheep. I found that lost coin. Everything's back in place, and it's all celebration. What happens in a family? What is the greatest thing that happens to a family? I went up to my mother's birthday party. There were more kids there than I'd ever... I mean, they were scads. That's who I spent most of my time with. They were the most fun. And it's true. They're just kids, and it just adds joy to everything. What, what, what am I saying? What, what, what if we bring more kids in here? What if we bring more people that come to Jesus? Come home to the Father. Get restored by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? The arrows will be going a different direction. The Father says, no kazaza today. Brokenness ain't going to have the last word. It's going to be about my boy. We're going to have music. We're going to have dancing. No clubbing, but we're going to feast. We're going to enjoy this. Because my son, he's alive. Another love of God. Look at Jesus as we come to this season. The pain that he took on the cross. He was rejected by his father. Why? So that you and I could be accepted. He cries out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gets forsaken by his father on the cross. He becomes our kazaza. So, loved ones, you and I never have to experience kazaza. You and I never have to be rejected by the Father. Brokenness doesn't have to have the last word in this place. It doesn't have to have the last word in Martinez, Pleasant Hill, Bay Point, Pittsburgh, Walnut Creek, East Bay. Jesus gets to have the last word, and it best happens when we are people of vision. We haven't talked about this a lot. This is my bad. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the preaching on the side of the street telling people they're doomed and going to hell. It's talking about the love of God and the reality of the afterlife. And we've always said this in the past, that we're going to sow seeds of love and grace and kindness into our community. Why? Because John 12, verses 24 and 26, Jesus said this, as he's getting ready to die, he says, listen, I'm like a kernel of wheat, that unless it falls and unless it dies, it's not going to be able to bring forth fruit. And he's talking in the context there, that if a man, if a person isn't willing to lay down their life and to die, they will lose it. And I think it's true of a church. If a church isn't willing to lay down its life and to die for its community, <laughs> it's, it's going to lose its power. And I haven't done a good job of leading that in the last couple of years. I want to be a people of mission. Because we can pray either way to the Father. Father, give me your goods or make me a servant. And I want our prayer to be, make me a servant. Imagine, imagine, imagine a ragtag collection of surrendered and transformed people who love God and love others. They are mesmerized by the idea that this is not about them. It's all about Jesus. They're transfixed by his story and their heart for their city. They're seed throwers, fire starters, hope peddlers, grace givers, risk takers, dreamers, young and old. They link arms with anyone who tells the story of Jesus. They will empower the poor, strengthen the weak, embrace the outcast, seek the lost. They will serve together, play together, worship together, do life before God and people together. And guess what? Their city can change. Because God sent us. I believe that. Why is that? Well, it's because they're us. They're you. They're me. We believe that small things done with great love will change our world. Whether that's a crab feed. Whether that's going to a school. Whether that's having a trunk or treat. Whether that's going to work tomorrow and just praying for somebody. Whether that's giving an invitation to an Easter service. It's a small thing. But when it's done with great love, guess what? It can change a life. And hear me, loved ones, that's what we're going to get back to. That's what we're going to do. I want to celebrate. We haven't had a lot of celebration lately. We're going to celebrate. Amen? Would you stand with me? Next steps for some of us. For some it might be come back to Jesus and say, Lord, I've I kind of been straying. I've kind of been in a dark, far country. Maybe that'd be you today. Let us know on your slip. Maybe for some of us, you've never said yes to follow Jesus. And hear my terminology. It's not about him coming to you. He's already been there. It's about you saying, I'm going to follow you. That's what the Bible says. We follow Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. I want to encourage you today. We're going to pray in just a moment that you would make that decision and just say, Jesus, I'm deciding today to follow you. For some of us, we have a baptism come up. Maybe your next step is to move toward baptism. But if you look at your notes, I want to challenge every one of us in this room today, if you're a part of Creekside, to do what I'm going to ask you to do. On the back here, you'll see I have some prayer points. Something very simple to pray for each day of this week. You're going to come to Wednesday, and it says, write down the name or names for someone or someones that you can invite to our Easter service. And I want to invite you to do that. And then through the rest of the next two weeks to be praying for them, that God would give you a door to either invite them and then begin to work on them to bring them or to come. So this is kind of a next step for all of us who are part of Creekside. Because we need to be praying for our services. As I said, my focus this year is pray first.